0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Game Talk Radio. I am Greg, with you here, as always, every Tuesday, talking about the different uh, video game stories and news and hits. You can follow me on Twitter at GameTradeGreg. Uh, subscribe on YouTube at youtube.com slash droprate. And, of course, on Twitch, you can follow us at uh, twitch.tv slash Rate. So um, we have a couple different stories we want to talk about today. Uh, we're going to talk about... Um, Capcom's Hideki Itsuno, who's gonna, who is uh, the the de- uh, director uh, developer on Devil May Cry Five, about how he almost left the company. Uh, we're gonna talk about a crazy story with Axiom Verge developer uh, Brian uh, Hap and uh, and then Limited Run, the publisher of that game, and how they got into a massive lawsuit with that game's publisher. Uh, then we're gonna talk about. Uh, we're gonna talk about the Yakuza spin-off game judgment that's coming out it looks really fun actually I'm really kind of excited for it and the the lead voice actor got um he got picked up for uh, he, he's he's accused or uh, had turned himself in for using drugs using cocaine and because of that they've pulled the game off shelves so they're not messing around basically and then lastly we're gonna talk about uh, really quickly we're gonna talk about how. EA apparently paid Ninja a million dollars to support Apex Legends when it was out. He paid him a money to stream it and everything like that. Uh, and then, like I said, we're going to finish up with our user question, and then we have our listener question, then we have our game of the week, and then we're going to be done. We're going to get through it. Um, but before I begin. There is something that was really that really really bugged me, and it just happened yesterday at the store. So I'll vent. I'm gonna vent a little bit to you guys. You know, sometimes I like, to, I like to keep things like this is a vent. Like this, and you get to know me very personally by knowing kind of when I say stuff like this. But a lot of people listen to this. You've been in my store. Or I would assume most people. <laughs> so and most of you know me personally. You've been and we've had conversations before. And so you listen to this and, and uh, you know who I am, you know, how, how hard I work to take care of customers, how I, how hard I work to try to like, uh, you know, to price everything accordingly. Like we're not looking to be some sort of ripoff shop. You know, I, I go to stores and get really irritated when stuff's overpriced, you know, we try to have it right at what we feel it's worth or that you could buy it for online. So that way you're not paying any more than going on eBay. So I was feeling a little cluttered in my office over the weekend, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to take a bunch of stuff to the store, a bunch of stuff to sell that uh, I've been collecting over the years that I just don't need. And it was uh, it was a couple of first four figures, so it was, and it was a lot of my collector's editions. So I sold like my Dark Souls three, my Dark Souls two collector's editions, uh, and then I sold um, my Dark Souls first four statues, my Atorius and my Sif, and then I took in my Amaterasu from Okami first four figures. Okay, so. I just took in a bunch of stuff, and it was crazy. So I had a lot of Dark Souls stuff, so I put a post up on the Facebook page. And I I often do this, obviously. Like any business, you get a bunch of cool stuff in, you take a picture of it, you show it to the the other people that follow your page so that they can then also enjoy the cool stuff you have. But it's also an advertising thing, you know? And so someone um, must have shared that post onto like a statue collector's page. Cause I started getting all these messages like, Hey, would you ship to Germany? Hey, how much is this? How much is that? And I'm looking at everyone's profiles and they're all from California or Spain. A lot of people from um, Spain, a lot of people from uh, Europe, uh, Germany, the UK. And I'm like, okay, well I don't ship. Sorry guys. You know, we're just a local store here in the U S sorry. We don't ship. We don't ship. And everyone's really cool about it, no big deal. So then one person on the Facebook comments asks, you know, how much is the statue for SIF? And d- d- a full disclosure here, like I said, you're gonna learn a little bit about me today. I'm gonna go through this. So, full disclosure that statue cost me, I wanna say it was $550 retail and I think $100 shipping. So, $650 is what I put in to get it. But oftentimes with first four figures, they go up in value. And that's why I originally bought those two statues was because I knew one day I'd probably resell them because first four figures, especially the first couple out of a series end up doing really well because as the series grows and as the statues grow, the first ones are often sought after and they're never reprinted. And I'm talking, these are expensive statues they are huge, beautiful hand-painted statues they are awesome. And so, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. I look it up. I see some selling for $900 online. I see some selling for $1,200 online. And I say, you know what? Let's split the difference. I'm going to sell it for $999.99, 1000 99, Artorias goes for a little bit more. SIF arguably, I probably could have put it 900 and Artorius at 1100, but I put them both at a thousand, you know, I was like, you know, let's just keep it simple. We'll have, we'll have one skew. And And if, if you've ever been in my store too, you know, I'm always willing to wheel and deal. Like if I have some high ticket item like that, I'm always willing to adjust or come down because for me, I'd rather sell it for less than not sell it at all. Now I had just brought those into the store. So I don't know how much of a price I would have dropped them only being in the store for an hour, you know, but so anyway, um, someone must've shared it to a statue collectors group or something, because all of a sudden I started getting comments asking how much all that stuff. And on the Facebook page, you know, someone asked how much for SIF. I'm like, Oh, right now i mean, he's brand new. He's the exclusive version. It's only been open to be inspected and to make sure there were no breaks because if there's breaks on a new statue, you can take, you can send it back to first four and they'll send you a replacement. So I, I inspect it, make sure it's all great. It's a great condition statue. It's all in great shape. Put it back in the box and there it sat forever. It's a brand new statue. Okay. It's never been displayed. It doesn't have layers of dust on it. You don't have to clean it. It's all set and ready to go. It's never been taken in and out of the stand a hundred times. Okay. There's some value there. And it's an exclusive and I, and this is another debatable thing, but it also doesn't, it, it has a very low number. I bought, um, and what's cool about first four is if you buy the first one in the series and you buy every statue after that, you've essentially reserved that number. So as long as you buy every statue, you get every number on that statue. So I had for Artorius, I had number 83. Okay. Number 83 off the line. It's under a hundred. That's huge for people that care about numbers. I'm not saying everybody cares about numbers. In fact, a lot of people give people crap for caring about numbers, but some people care. Like it'd be super cool if that statue was top 50. I think it'd be cooler than the top 100, but it's, it's top 100. So to me, that adds value. And I'm the one setting the price. So you're going to come to my house and my market. I'm going to tell you what is important to me. If it was like the last one off the line, I probably, I don't know if I would have adjusted the price at all, to be honest, but I would have looked at that. I would have considered that when deciding my price. And both Artorius and Sif in the game Dark Souls, if you don't know, they're companions. So it's really cool that I have both those statues. They have matching print numbers and the print numbers are super low. Okay. they like, there's, there's, there's more to the story here than just, I'm bought a statue for $700 and I'm trying to sell it for a thousand bucks, you know? And so this one person on the Facebook group, after I say the price, uh, there's a, there's like three people, basically three people start giving me a hard time about it. One person just starts like, you know, doing the ha 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 ha. And then he goes, Oh wait. And then goes, ha ha ha. Okay. Ha, so he's just laughing about the price. Okay, great. I don't care. People troll us all the time about prices and people don't typically know shit about prices. So that's fine. So I'm not going to I'm not going to stress over somebody like being critical about our pricing when they don't understand how we're pricing it and, and they don't take the time to ask. Like if somebody like that says, where'd you come up with the price with that? And then I explain it and then they have like, well, I have a problem with that because of this that's a totally different conversation. But just like, oh, you know, oh, you're just overpriced, blah, blah. And then there's a second guy who who chimes in and he's actually somebody who I've seen in the first four collector statue Forums. So I've seen this guy around before. He he talks all the time. He knows his stuff. And he goes, yeah, right. You'll be lucky to get 500 for Sif. I'm like, what are you talking about? Lucky to get 500. The statue is so sought after. It's one of the favorite characters from Dark Souls. Like, get out of here with that. Like, that doesn't even make sense on any planet. That doesn't make any sense. And then... Uh, you know, someone else said something like, oh, I can't imagine what you're charging for Artorias if that's what you're charging for SIF. And I'm like, what, what are you people looking at? Like when you go on eBay and even if, and, and, and here's the thing, I I look at eBay sold listings. I said, I saw a bunch sell between 900 and 1200. There's one up for sale right now for like $770 shipping. So 770 bucks. You can get a used one with the worst pictures I've ever seen on the internet. It's got a busted up box and some pieces broken off. I'm sorry, that's not a comparable auction, you know? I'm sorry, it's just it's frustrating to me. Like I literally do this every day. I'm I'm constantly keeping up with what stuff is worth. It's my job, literally, you know? And so it's frustrating to me. But anyway, I'm trying to blow it all off. But it sucks when it's on my page, and these are people that aren't part of my community. And so they're saying things that make me look like I'm ripping people off. And I have my customers reading that saying, Is he ripping people off? And that really pisses me off to be quite honest. Like that, this is my, my baby, you know, like I I've worked so hard for what I have today. I mean, this is eight years in the making. Like this isn't, this isn't some bullcrap to me, you know? And I care. And I probably take it way too personal. And I, I know that I take everything about my business way too personal. Every four star instead of a five star, I get, I'm always upset. Every three star instead of a five, I'm like, what did I do wrong? You know? But I feel like that makes me a better business owner because I actually care about what I'm doing. And so, you know, whatever. And so, you know, all this stuff's going on and they're arguing with me back and forth. And I'm just like, you know, and the one guy who said it was, you know, he's, he said it's so sad when a store is charging double what eBay's charging. Like, what are you talking about double? Like now you're just, now you're just lying, you know, like now you're lying to make me look bad. And I look it up. And so I asked him, I'm like, well, do you want to, I'm like, if you send me some posts that I may have missed some auctions, I may have missed, send them to me. And if, if I'm wrong, I'll adjust my pricing. I'll do, I do that all the time. And anything in the glass case has used game prices fluctuate up and down all the time. If a game's on a downturn and we've had it when we bought it, when it was at the high turn, if you come in and say, I can get this on eBay right now for 80 and I have it at a hundred, I'm going to mark it down to 80. I've done that a hundred times and I'll do it a hundred times more because we don't check every game's prices every day. It's just impossible for what we have and that's fine. And so So then, you know, the guy sends me the link to that crappy one for $700 with $70 shipping. I'm like, okay, so you want to pay $770 for a used busted up one or $1,000 for a brand new perfect one. I'm sorry. Like to me, that has value. I'm just, I I have no argument for that. So I say that and I just say, hey, and and I've got to be politically correct. This is a difficult thing when you're dealing with people on social media with the store because you can't attack them because you almost look more like the bad guy, right? So you, you can't do anything like you have to really like, you know, almost apologize to them for having, for having a store. It's, it's ridiculous. And so I said something like, Hey, I appreciate you looking, but here's why I've still priced it over the price of that one. Because that one's got crappy pictures. It's busted up. It's got a crunchy box and it's used. Mine is brand new, inspected, fully complete, nothing wrong with it. Brand new. And he just goes, he replies back, well ask any collector that's been collecting a long time used statues are more are worth more than new and and i just lost i, I don't i even know what to say to that i'm not to say to that i i understand a little bit i think the point he's trying to make is that a new statue is unknown you don't know what's inside of it it could be busted it could be cracked in half and why would you want to buy a new statue that the company won't repair anymore because you're not buying it from the company you're buying it second hand but the difference is I have a store that I literally would open the statue and show it to you and you could see everything. We could set it all up in the store and you know that it's not a piece of crap and you know it's not broken. And so it's frustrating to me like, and again, these are people that aren't like local to my area. There are people from all over the U S and different countries, like talking trash about my store and my market. And that just really frustrated to me, man. And, and it, so it, it ruined my whole day. It happened. Like I put the post up at like 10 and all the comments are happening like 10, 30, 11. It just, it just like the whole day was shot. And and I'm trying to do that. We're crazy busy with trade-ins. We got crazy stuff going on. And then, and then a, a, a statue culture that I know, calls me because I offered a discount if you bought Sif and Artorius together because of the matching numbers and the, the significance of them being, um, companions in the game. Right. And so I said, I- I'll give a discount to anybody who wants to buy them both. And so a guy comes in and, uh, or a guy, I know Anthony, he, he's a great guy. I've known him for years. He's like, Oh yeah. Well, how much of a discount would you offer to buy them together? And I'm like, well, I would do 20% off if you buy them together. So I did both statues for 800 bucks. Okay. So now you can go buy that shitty bus that went on eBay for seven seventy. Or you can buy a brand new one in the box. It's mint and been inspected for 800 So, you know what I mean? So, like, I didn't rip anybody off, and that's not my that's not my jam. You know, that's not my style. And I, I've always been, again, anti that for a very long time, even though there's stores out there that claim you could charge 10 to 20% over eBay because people will pay it in the store. I've always hated that, and I've always refuted that strategy when it came to a local game store. I think that's bullshit, and I don't think you should be able to do that. And so it is what it is, whatever, but I, I just... It really pissed me off yesterday, you know. And then like I said, so even and then when Anthony came in, he's a great guy and I I really appreciate. It. He bought those two and then he buys Amaterasu. So he bought three $1,000 statues. Now I gave him the 20% discount on Amaterasu also because I feel like that's a bundle deal. So we got all three statues for 800. That's a steal. That's a great deal. Amaterasu is easily over a grand. So I'm like that's a great deal for any collector. He saved $600 because he bought all three statues. I'm happy to do it. It cleared out the clutter in my house, we put some money in the bank, and he's happy. Like everybody's happy. But even he, when he was talking to me, he's like, I saw the Facebook post and and I'll be honest, even after people were saying that, like I looked up the prices just to make sure and I'm like, so it even proves that like my, my customers were reading that and... You know, my customers were reading that and saying, oh, maybe I should, you know, maybe Greg does rip people off. It, oh, it really fired me up yesterday. And that really pisses me off because I go so far out of my way. Like, people don't even realize how far we go out of our way to try to help customers and give people, you know, the proper service they deserve. We have people coming with defective stuff from two months, three months ago. We still take care of them. You know what I mean? And so then, like, when people insinuate that we try to rip people off, or oh, it just, oh it just pisses me off, like, beyond belief. And now I'm all worked up again, damn it. I was all, I was all cooled off and I was all over it. And then I got all worked up sharing it with you guys. But no, seriously, it, it just it's frustrating, you know, and and what sucks, too, is not a single like I had one or two people show up on the page and like stick up for me, which was really nice. Like, that's one thing that I often can't do. But having one of our fans or one of our customers come on there and say, hey, you know, if you have a problem with the price, why don't you, you know, like I, I looked it up and this is what I would saw it for. So, you know, I mean, I guess it's just nice to be have people defend you, I guess. And that, and that was really nice to see. And I had a couple people do that. And so that was really nice, but it just, man, that was the start of my day yesterday. And it was just, oh man, it got me, it got me fired up. But anyway, that's my rant over about uh, people arguing with me and people that aren't even my customers. I think that's what really made me the most mad was because someone shared this in like a Facebook statue collector group, people from that group then started coming onto my page and talking trash about my store and it's like get the hell out of here you're not my customer you know you've never been in my store you don't know us you don't know the store you don't know the market and that's the other thing too you know these guys from like europe that's where their like distribution facility is for this for these figures and like california and new york like yes you guys are huge social hubs we're in the midwest so unfortunately we don't have places and i'm not saying that makes it more like I should charge more for rare stuff because you don't see it often, but you might see more competition for prices in New York where you have a couple hundred of these statues around. Nobody else. I don't think in green Bay has this statue. Nobody else in, in, in central Wisconsin has a statue. So I don't think, you know what I mean? So there to, to argue that like, Oh, in California, I can go down to any street corner and get this. Okay. You can't get number 83 and you can't get the two of them paired together at number 83, brand new inspect in the box. Right. You know, anyway, now I'm all fired up. Now I'm all ready to go now we can do the rest of this podcast. So uh, we're going to start with the Capcom story. So let me just cue this up here, make sure everything's working good. And then, uh, <clears throat> we're gonna, we're gonna start the show. All right. So first up on the podcast today, we're talking about Hideki Itsuno. Okay. So this is the, the, the producer at Capcom. He, he most recently released Devil May Cry 5. And this story broke a couple of days ago. And this is actually like, it's kind of sad, but kind of cool. Like it has a happy ending, I guess. But, uh, this is uh this is an interesting one. So, uh, the headline, um, was I really wanted to make a D. De- oh, next see that's the wrong one. Ah, I did the wrong one. Which one is it? Uh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. I was on the right one first. Um, okay. Here's the headline. Okay. You know what? I'm gonna start that over. I, I gotta be better than that. Come on. Sorry. Sorry. YouTube. Sorry. Podcast listeners, but the YouTube people's got to get a better show than that. <laughs> so, here we go. So first up on the podcast today, we're going to be talking about Capcom's Hideki Itsuno. Uh, he's most recently the producer of the latest Devil May Cry game, Devil May Cry 5, along with games like Dragon's Dogma, a personal favorite of mine. And uh, the news broke a couple days ago, though. This is kind of sad. And Here's what he said. He said he wanted to resign after DMC Devil May Cry. And that was uh, that was leaked by the voice actor who plays Dante. And, and And you're like, oh, wow. And when you read this headline, okay, so again, let's read that. Itsuno wanted to resign after Devil May, DMC Devil May Cry. Now it's really confusing, but DMC Devil May Cry is actually the, the reboot reimagining of Devil May Cry that was done by Ninja Theory. Ninja Theory, by the way, an incredible studio. And I thought that game was excellent. I reviewed DMC when it originally came out in 2013, I think it was, and I gave it an 8 out of 10. I really liked that game a lot. I liked it a lot. I, I really, really liked that game. Uh, was it better than the other Devil May Cry's? I'm not going that far. I'm not just saying it was a good game, you know? So before you stop listening, just because I liked DMC, like, just please, you know? Like, it was a fine game, and people who just trash it like it's the most garbage game ever, I I, I won't understand that. And it's definitely better than Devil May Cry 2, so, like, to just put that out there. Um, however, with that being said, the voice actor for Dante was one who kind of said that. So uh, here's the original story. We're going to kind of go through it. Um, DMC Devil May Cry released in 2013, five years after Devil May Cry four it was as our review at the time said a great game but it was very different to anything else in the series it was made by a different developer ninja theory and featured a redesigned dante in an interview with youtube channel toy bounty hunters picked up by game fragger actor ruben langdon claimed that itsuno was not happy with the change of direction and was ready to leave capcom following its release quote i think he put in his resignation and they said wait you're a valuable guy we don't want you to leave what can we uh what can make you stay end quote Itsuno's wish list, including getting control of Devil May Cry series for a new game, Langdon said. Uh, Hats off to him standing up, and hats off to Capcom for going all out. They literally gave him everything he requested and wanted for this game, and it's paying off. He said, in a reference to the recently released Devil May Cry 5, which is in itself brilliant. Now, that's what they say. I I thought Devil May Cry was also... Devil May Cry 5 is an 8 out of 10 also. A very fun game, but not perfect by any stretch. Uh, Langdon himself didn't feature in in DMC Devil May Cry, but voiced Dante in Devil May Cry 3, 4, and 5. Oh, <laughs> so, so, okay. So there's a little something there too. Um, so that's the initial story, right? And you're like, oh, that's, uh, that's wild. That's kind of interesting. So the guy who made Del May Cry didn't want the later Del May Cries, didn't wanted to leave Capcom because of DMC. And and then you're like, but hasn't he said nice things about DMC? And he did. And now you could argue that maybe that's part of Japanese culture is that in the, in the spotlight, they won't talk trash, about a franchise there, especially one published by the company he still works for. So he might have been being PC. That's totally fair to say. Um, except that there's this quote, which uh, he's quoted as saying that he really wanted to make DMC Double May Cry 2 instead of Double May Cry 5. So let's get into that. Before DMC 5 was considered, series director Hideki Itsuno really wanted to make a sequel to Ninja Theory's take on the Capcom action game. So what made Capcom change its mind? Quote, I really wanted to make a DMC Devil May Cry 2 after the first one, Itsuno told VG47 at the Tokyo Game Show. I was really pumped up to do it, and then that didn't happen. So when it came time to make a new game, we said, all right, let's make Devil May Cry 5. We had these people that didn't work on DMC and people that did, because... Uh, we had these two sides mixing. It was all right. We're going to make Devil May Cry 5. It's not going to be a sequel to DMC, but we definitely want to do what we can to take what we learned from that game too. So not only did he go on to say nice things about DMC and say that it was like that, he he's also saying that they actually wanted to make a sequel to DMC. So they wanted to make DMC 2 instead of Devil May Cry 5. And if you're still confused, DMC is what we're calling the Ninja Theory game, and Tell Me Cry is what we're calling the Capcom, uh, ba- the the base franchise. And so that's really interesting. I'm sure someone at Capcom was like, let's let's unplug from DMC. The the fans. Hate it. It's got a negative rep like crazy. doesn't even matter if we make it. Even though that's not true, I'll be honest, the fans that hated DMC, once they put him on it and made DMC Don't May Cry 2, uh, I guarantee the fans have been like, oh, it's the greatest thing ever. Even if it had the exact same gameplay elements, same combo system, and same voice actor, same look, they'd have been like, oh, it's so good because of him. I, I believe that. I really do. Part of the anger directed at Ninja Theory was due to Ninja Theory's reaction to the fan backlash, and and this is I feel totally fair. So if you were somebody when when they first showed the picture of Dante from Double May Cry or from DMC, even I like threw up my mouth a little bit. <laughs> I was like, this this looks terrible, you know, like this. I don't like the look. He looks like he's strung out. He's got like the, he's holding the police sign. He just looks like he's all he's beat up. He looks coked out, and I'm like this. like I remember just thinking that those looks like just ball sacks and I remember thinking like right when I was playing that game I told myself I'm not gonna like this just get through it do your stupid review you're not gonna like it just do it and I did and that game turned me around that's how good it was much like Resident Evil 7 in the same way I went into Resident Evil 7 expecting to be stupid a first person Resident Evil game all great oh it's set in the bayou with a bunch of hillbillies all great you know and then I'm like oh, this game's pretty, oh, okay, oh, I'm, I'm on board, I got you, I got you, and that was the same thing with DMC, like, even the very beginning, there's, like, this this thing where he's, like, in his trailer or whatever, and it's getting all shot up, and he jumps through, and then, like, he's naked, and he jumps through, and he twists, and then, like, a little piece of pizza covers his junk, and you're like, this is just stupid, man, it's so dumb, and then there's a little bit of a crack where he does something, and then, like, this white mop lands on his head, because DMC Dante has black hair, and so his white mop lands on his head and it's kind of styled in the style of Dante's hair. And he's like, huh? And he makes like a quirk. So basically it was, it was like poking fun at people who wanted Dante to look more like the original Dante. So you're like, oh my God, Ninja Theory, you're like doing everything you can to piss off your potential customers here. After those initial stages though, I loved the setup of that game and it paid off, including the, fi- the, fi- the, the, the two final boss fights, the second to last boss fight against Mundus, which was just like. That was nice that was real fun and then the final fight against Virgil was just awesome and uh and, and spoiler alert uh once Dante like fully reveals himself like his power his like devil trigger or whatever his hair goes white so like it was there you know but fans sometimes we just we get so our first impression we can't shake it you know and I know it's it happens it's fair like and people don't like the game legitimately that's fine I'm not saying that you're not allowed to not like it I'm just saying that there are people out there who unduly criticize it. And I don't think that's fair, especially since people started putting it like below Devil May Cry 2. And we all know that that while not a bad game, it's just not, it just didn't live up to the hype of one. And it certainly three came out and just crushed everything up to that point. Three changed the game uh, into what it is like. It's modern take on it kind of as it is today. Uh, So, uh, but so you have these, these headlines, right? And, and, you know, you think when you read that headline, DMC made him want to quit. And now the voice actor says that. And so, I mean, we'll take him at his word for now, I suppose. But then you have Itsuno saying he wanted to work on DMC Devil May Cry 2. Instead, like, he loved the game enough where he wanted to make a follow up to it. I think that's a pretty big deal because he wants that. He wants Dragon's Dogma 2, and he wanted, to, or he wanted Devil May Cry 5. And the, the game Devil May Cry 5, and I think next up is hopefully Dragon's Dogma 2. Like, that would. Or Dragon's Dogma Online port to US or translation. I don't know, something but I want it. I need it in my life. Okay. So getting back to the original story, though, there was an update where Capcom producer Matt Walker claimed that Hideki Itsuno's desire to leave the studio after DMC had nothing to do with the game itself. So here the plot thickens. Um, Matt Walker, I think there was a bit of misunderstanding here. DMC has nothing to do with this conversation. Itsuno-san really was proud of what Capcom and Ninja Theory accomplished together on that game. I'm not BSing here. So that's somebody right from Capcom saying that they loved that game and they were impressed by it and he didn't want to leave because of that game. Now I could say arguably maybe he really wanted to work on Devil May Cry either with them or on the game or something and that's why he wanted to leave. That's possible, but that's also possible he did that and still appreciated and liked that game. So I think when you have the original creator playing a reboot and enjoying and loving a reboot, I, I think you have to admit that that game is probably pretty good. I'm sorry. Yeah, I just, I just think it is, and and it doesn't fit anywhere. And they try to do their own take on things. And there were some like, I'll maybe I'll put up my review sometime because I did this YouTube video back on my brother's Insanity channel years ago. And so I don't even know it's probably still up. I can link to it maybe, or or I'll just upload it to Drop Rate one day. I'll just upload all my old stuff. And uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, and and so the headline's a little misleading because it makes you think that he wanted to quit because of DMC. And I don't think that was the case, but it's a great story of how Capcom went out of their way to keep one of their greatest talents because in the past they didn't do that. They've lost talent in the past. It's nice to see them retain some of the great people that are working on the games today. All right. So this next story, whoo, this one's a doozy. I got to I might have to unpack all this a little bit as we're, as we're talking about a few things because uh, let's see, I got to, uh, I want to, I got to, I got to queue up. I got to queue up the other article this um, because there's two parts of the story. I think this is the limited run one. Um, <laughs> let's see. I just want to, trying to cue this up okay so yeah this is the big story on GameIndustry.biz about limited run and then there was a follow-up so we'll talk about this this has to do with axiom verge which is an excellent game um but uh actually it's all in this article here isn't it okay i'll just stick to the kotaku article because it's big um uh, hap, hap, hap is the dude. What is the two player productions? Is that what it's actually called? Ah, it doesn't matter. Okay. Uh, but here, uh, here we go. We're going to start the next part of the podcast right now. So next up on the podcast today, we want to talk about this crazy story between Badlands games or Badlands publishing and limited run and Thomas Hap, the uh, developer behind Axiom Verge. So if you haven't played Axiom Verge, it's probably one of the best odes to the original Metroid I've ever played. It in graphical style, but also in like sound and mood, and it's just excellent, excellent, excellent. Axiom Verge is one of my favorite games too. I that I played was it last year or even two years ago? Now I'm not sure. Might have been might have been two years ago, but in any case, amazing game. Go buy it at any console you can. Um, which the funny thing about that is, it's soon to be coming physical to the Wii U. Yes, the Wii U, a dead console for the last four years plus, is getting a, a new physical run released. Now, it was supposed to have come out quite a while ago, and unfortunately, there was a lawsuit between Limited Run and Badlands, but I want to get to all of that, but I got to do this in order. So, actually, the, that was the first thing that kind of broke the story. So, let's talk about this first, and then I'm going to get to the second half of it because the second half is a little dirty. So, this is kind of a long story. Buckle in for the ride, folks. We're gonna, we, we got a lot going on here. Um, okay, so... Uh, let's see. The original story was March 15th. Um, despite being largely a dead console, the Wii U is seeing the physical release of a relatively well-known indie title in North America at the end of the month, Axiom Verge. The game was originally released digitally on the platform in September of 2016, and its North American physical release was announced over two years ago. Since then, it's seen a Nintendo Switch digital and physical launch, but the Wii U physical edition seemed to vanish after its initial reveal, largely forgotten that the Wii U took a backseat to Nintendo's newer console. But thanks to a long saga of delays, lot check troubles, ignored emails, bank mistakes, company closures, and court proceedings... Proceedings, Axiom Verge and the Wii U would remain unforgotten for the two companies originally responsible for making it happen, Limited Run Games and Badland Games. Now we're going to get into kind of the story, though, of what happened. Uh, this is a lot. Can I find a, a faster one here? I think this is a little faster. Okay. So, um, as outlined in the extensive report by GameIndustry.biz, the boutique distributor Limited Run Games. You know who they are, ordered 6,000 copies of the Wii U edition of Axiom Verge, which included a soundtrack, art book, and other extras, for which it paid Badlands $78,000 in early 2017. It planned to sell them through its website that fall, but the copies never showed up. In early 2018, Limited Run Games filed a lawsuit seeking repayment. It won the lawsuit, but still has not received payment. Despite Badland temporarily closing in 2018 as a result of money issues, Josh Fairhurst, Limited Run's CEO, told GameIndustry.biz that he believes the company has the money to pay. Quote, Badland Publishing has released several physical retail products since we sent them our money, some within the last few months, end quote. quote. Fairhurst, uh, Fairhurst continues, quote, through my knowledge of minimum order requirements with the major platforms and the associated costs, I know that Badland has spent more than $100,000 on recent physical product releases, so they've had more than enough money to pay us back, yet they've been content to keep our money. Uh, according to Luis uh, Quintans, Badland's CEO, it will eventually pay back the money but needs time. In short, this judgment shows that we have to pay the a limited run, which is what we are willing to do from the beginning. Quintans told gameindustry.biz but for the limited run has to want to talk to us and keep in mind that it is not possible to face all payments at once. So he's arguing that uh, basically limited run wants all the money now and they can't pay all the money now so they have to work out some sort of deal. And you're like okay well that sounds pretty reasonable. But apparently they had already tried that. So anyway, they go on to say uh, Fairhurst said on Twitter that now that limited run has sued Badlands and won, it cannot make such a deal. Accepting a payment plan would invalidate our lawsuit and give Badland a chance not to pay. He wrote limited run will be releasing the multiverse edition of Axiom Verge on March 29th. just a couple weeks away for Wii U after partnering directly with Happ and Adelman. According to Adelman, they too are pursuing a lawsuit against Badland. Here gets to the crazy stuff. For $200,000, they believe the publisher owes them, but the international nature of the suit is making it hard to make headway. It's frustrating to see at Badland published tweets about new games they're releasing, no doubt funded with the money they owe Limited Run Games and Tom Happ, Adelman wrote. So there was an update where Quintons, that's from Badland, uh, posted a statement on Twitter over the weekend acknowledging Badland's failure to pay, but stressing that the delays were due to ongoing business and financial challenges and that the company still has every intent... Of paying the amount it owes. The last request for negotiation on our part was not accepted, nor was the repayment plan. Options that would probably have been accepted if Badland Games had been more proactive on this issue during this period of economic difficulties, wrote the Badland CEO. So they're even saying that they should that it should have been accepted earlier because they and they didn't have the money to do it, so they didn't, and now this new negotiation they can't because of the lawsuit. Uh, that version of events was refuted in emails by both Edelman and Hap, who told Kotaku that after they had proposed a counter repayment plan, Badland went completely radio silent quote over the course of a couple months. We had discussed and agreed to terms under which they would pay Tom, but when I sent them a payment plan, I didn't hear back for a couple weeks. He went on to say, quote, I asked them to get back to me. But they said they were discussing it with their lawyer and would get back to me ASAP. That was in early August and was the last meal email Excuse me, I received from them. It was around that time that I decided to retain a lawyer as I was getting the sense they were stalling for time. Since then, they have published multiple games, so they must have had cash at their disposal. Their decision to use that cash to publish more games instead of pay their existing debts was a deliberate choice they made. End quote. Yes, so I do agree with that, but I also agree that you have to spend money to make money. And so maybe they needed to get these titles out to get more of a, of a, of a space, like a bank of cash. So they could pay some debts. They probably had the money to pay these debts and they would pay them, but then they'd be out of business. And I'm not saying that's right because they have outstanding debt, but what I'm saying is they, I can understand why maybe they were stalling to try to get some sales out, get some games out and make some money so that they could then pay it back in increments and not destroy their company in the process, which, you know. Whatever. Now going on to say though, so then as you said that the the developer, the developer says that they are owed two hundred thousand dollars. That's not even you know seventy eight thousand limited runs a big deal. This is two hundred thousand from Hap and Adelman, who's I believe the publisher or the um, producer. So then the article, and this is technically the beginning of it, but I wanted to do the other part first because that's what I heard first. Limited run kind of broke this all open, and then. That's when Hap and Edelman came forward to be like, oh, also, by the way, we got this going on with this company, too. And so um, (laughs) let's see here. Uh, Quote, Badlands has literally stolen money from a disabled toddler, Edelman said in a series of tweets earlier today. According to Edelman, he and Hap had been approached by a number of companies interested in trying to produce a physical version of Axiom Verge. They eventually decided to go with Badland because of the unique terms of the deal that was offered. So this is an incredible deal that was offered to Hap, the creator of Axiom Verge, from Badland Games. In addition to matching what other publishers were offering in terms of revenue share, they said they'd contribute 75% of their cut to a trust fund set up for Alistair Hap, so that's Thomas Hap's son, and his ongoing medical expenses. Adelman wrote on Twitter, Alistair Hap suffers from a rare neurological disorder called uh, Kernicterus. Most treatments for this are experimental and not covered by insurance. Years later, after physical versions of the game came to PlayStation Four, Vita, and Switch, Adelman says that the money is still missing. Neither Adelman, Happ, nor Badland were immediately available to respond to a request for comment. So they were going to give seventy-five percent of their cut to a trust for the developer's son. I mean, that's incredible offer. That's incre- that, That's over the top Genesis, uh, uh, generous. That's over the top generous. I mean, that's almost too much. I would say almost, I think Tom might've, might've overlooked that that was almost too good to be true, right? Like what company would do that? I mean, obviously if they thought they were going to make a ton of money on it though, you know, it's a good press thing. It's a good, it's a good thing to do. My goodness. How excellent was that? Um, According to Edelman's tweets, however, Badland, which is based in Spain, was originally set to publish physical versions of the game in both Europe and North America. The company later came back and asked Hap to front the money required to manufacture the copies for North America, which Edelman said was a signal that that something wasn't right. At that point, we still thought Badland was operating in good faith. They were just low on cash. He said, we are still planning on dividing up the proceeds on the original terms. So at that point, there was no reason to believe that they wouldn't do it Hap and Edelman organized a distribution of the physical copies in North America with retailers paying Hap his share directly. But Edelman said that Hap has never been paid his share for the version sold in Europe. Meanwhile, a Wii U version to be produced by Badland never materialized at all. And that's when we go on to the limited run side. So then they basically work with limited run. Limited run says, hey, we'll get the physical versions out for you. We'll front the cash. Here you go. And then Badlands stiffs them, which is tough because what's, that, what's the saying, right? The fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And so really, did Limited Run not know? Did they not talk to the developer and not know that they were already having money issues and stuff? I guess, and maybe they didn't, you know, but I think that's a little bit of responsibility from Hap should have maybe stepped in with Limited Run and been like, hey, just so you know like if you front the money yada 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 blah blah blah. So, uh they finally have their copies of the game. <laughs> um but I'm pretty sure based on what they're going to sell it for cuz here's here's the deal. Uh they're going to sell the game I believe for 29.99. It might be 34.99. Let's say $29.99. So $30 by 6,000 you know, uh it's $180,000 basically profit you can make. So limited run will make their money back if they sell out of this product, but it's it's very weird. And I don't know if that was supposed to be their cut or if a cut of that's supposed to go obviously to HAP and how much is supposed to go like to Badland. Like I don't know anything so I don't know what's gonna happen, but they are allowed to sell the physical edition. So this is a wild story. So this Badland place, uh this Badland games, they went like Badland Games I think went out of business. They filed for bankruptcy. They claim that there was some mistake and a bank closed off all their lines of credit and so they they had no access to their funds anymore. They couldn't continue their business. And that's what got them behind basically on paying back all their debts. And while that's certainly an understandable situation, what's not acceptable is going dark. And that's apparently what they did. Like they ghosted limited run for months, not replying to emails, not saying anything with them. You have to keep an open dialogue. I, Josh Fairhurst, I've never had any direct communication with him. seems like a pretty reasonable person, uh, in, in my interactions I've seen of him on social media. I I think he would understand and and not be happy with the delay, but still be fine with it as long as, you know, as long as you communicate with him and you let him know what's going on. Even if you said, hey, I don't really have the money for it right now. We'll, you know, we'll get you. Because What I want to say is it sounds almost like they gave the money to Badlands to make the copies of the game, not that they themselves sent the money to the distributor or to the um, manufacturer to make the games. I think that's what happened. And so they didn't have the game and they didn't have their money. Now they have the games, but then they weren't allowed to sell it because of a lawsuit. Whole big issue. But one of those really weird stories that uh, that, that hopefully will come to a happy ending. Uh, so you get to, if you want a chance, this kind of neat history it does go on sale. It's a week from Friday. Uh, I'll be buying it because I love the game. Actually, I can't stress enough how much I love that game, but uh, also because it should be a fairly unique experience. Only six thousand copies being made. Probably the last game coming out on the Wii U, if I had to guess technically based on uh, when it's going to ship. But you never know. Um, But but hopefully we'll get more of an update on this. I'd love to see Badlands. Just I don't want to see Badlands go out of business. I want to see them take care of their debts, fix their financial situation, and then move on and make and get because the idea of another company publishing small indie games is a good thing. And I understand that they're essentially uh, competitors with Limited Run. But it would it would be really nice to see them not be like hating on each other. You know, there's their special reserve games uh, that that co op and do stuff with Limited Run. Like not everyone who does Limited Run. Games has or not everyone that does physical print copies has to be a competitor, you know. Just like me, and there's other game stores that I'm technically competing with, but we have great relationships with because you know that's just the best way to do business. All right, and then we got to get to this Yakuza story, and then we're gonna talk a little bit about Ninja, and then we're gonna and then we're gonna get out of here. But my nose is really itchy again, so <laughs> I don't I don't know what it is. Like I'm seriously sitting in here. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm doing the pockets. Everything's fine. And then all of a sudden I get a little bit of an itch in my nose. I rub it and then boom, my nose itches straight for like 20 freaking minutes. I got to get like a, and I have cats, but I I'm around them all the time. I'm not allergic to cats. I just don't know if this room needs like, I don't know what this room needs. A de-dustifier, a de-cat dustifier. I don't know. Needs something. Um, anyway, uh, let's get to the next story. So next on the podcast today, we're going to be talking about the Yakuza spin off Judgment being pulled from sale in Japan because the lead actor in the game was busted for having cocaine. And so, at first, you're like, well, this isn't much of a story, right? Because, you know, people who do bad things, oftentimes the media will react to that. Uh, but let's hit the story because it's a little weird that they're not just disassociating with the actor, they're actually pulling the game. Off of shelves in Japan, which is causing the game actually to spike in value right now because it's essentially a a hard to get item. So here's the article real quick. This was uh, this is on IGN uh, by Ezra Krabby. Sega now say that it's halted Japanese sales of Judgment, the latest action adventure game from the developer of Yakuza. The reason behind this sudden decision is the fact that Pierre Take, whose voice and likeness are used in the game as character. Kyohei Hamura, was arrested as a suspect for the usage or possession of drugs. While this may not sound like a reason to stop selling the game, similar occurrences are common in uh, Japan's entertainment business. Uh, The uh, Mainichi News reports that 51-year-old Taki confessed to using a small amount of cocaine, and police are currently searching for further evidence. If prosecuted, Taki could face up to seven years in prison. Oh, my God. Uh, On its official website, Sega announced we have received reports of an arrest and we are currently confirming the facts. We are withdrawing withdrawing judgment from sale in Japan for the time being, including both physical and digital editions. Sega also stated it will no longer promote the game online with the official Japanese website no longer accessible and all past tweets by Sega's official Twitter account regarding the game being deleted. It is not known if Sega plans to restart selling the game once things settle down, but the wording of its announcement suggests it could be a temporary move. The Japanese word Tumen translates roughly to uh, for the time being, but is not quite a strong commitment as temporarily. Uh, it is not known if this incident will have any influence on the Western release of Judgment, which is scheduled for June 25th. At the time of writing, the game is still available on the PlayStation Store in Hong Kong and other regions in Asia. IGN has contacted Sega for comment. Uh... Sega does have, uh, excuse me. Sega does have options if he if it chooses to put the game back on sale. In the recently uh, recently released remaster of the Japanese version of Yakuza 4, the voice and likeness of Policeman Tanimura were recast after the original actor Hiroki uh Nirimiya, retired from the entertainment industry following upsub- unsubstantiated cocaine rumors. <laughs> It's possible that Judgment will similarly receive a patch that replaces the character model and voice for Taki's character, Hamura. Taki also performed the voice of Olaf in Frozen and in Kingdom Hearts 3, and is a member of the revered electro-duo Denki Groove. There's no word on whether those projects will be affected. Yeah, uh, and then there was a little bit of a follow-up to that here, I noticed. Following yesterday's news that Sega has halted sales of Judgment, it has been announced by Square Enix that alterations are to be made to the Japanese dub of RPG Kingdom Hearts 3. Take, who was arrested this week for alleged drug use, is the official voice of Frozen snowman Olaf, who features in Square's blockbuster adventure. An upcoming update will replace Olaf's Japanese dialogue entirely with that of a new actor, In much the same way that Sega re-recorded the dialogue of a Yakuza 4 actor following their own drug scandal. The star was arrested after police were tipped off about alleged cocaine use. No drugs were found in the actor's home or vehicle, but after testing positive, Taki admitted to to having used a small amount of the drug. As noted yesterday, drug crime is taken exceptionally seriously in Japan, with Taki potentially facing years in prison for the offense. Sega has still not passed a first word on how they intend to rectify the judgment situation. This is, this is kind of bonkers, right? And um, so <laughs> the first thing you have to understand, and you understand this if you know video games and if you've watched anime, and it is a different culture there. And so you can't apply what you know of your own culture to something like theirs and then say, well, it shouldn't be like that, or they shouldn't do it, or this is overreacting. This is how their culture is. So you have to assume then that the people that live there also understand the grave nature of that. So as silly as it seems to us that for terrible things like, um, you know, underage pornography and stuff like that here is an instant you take your ass to jail and get out of here. None of us have a problem with that. You'd be surprised how many Japanese citizens don't have a problem with somebody who does drugs getting thrown away for multiple years. It's, it's a different scale, but it's, it's kind of how they look at things. And so it's, what's important to that country. Like they've, they've taken that drug abuse very seriously, which is probably a good thing since they're so overworked there And they're so like tired all the time. It wouldn't surprise me if, if in the business world, there was a lot of drug use going on. And that's totally something that could have been an epidemic that got out of control quickly, but they, they, they tightened the screws on the law and they made sure it was a big deal. Now, uh, on, as far as Sega goes now, again, it's the culture there. As far as Sega goes, I think it's an overreaction to change the voice actor of a game and to completely have to edit out a character model of a game, redo it so it doesn't look like him. That seems crazy to me. But again, that's what's important to them. You know, here we have very similar sort of things. Like, um, again, I, I hate to kind of compare the two, but I'm trying to think of something that's pretty extreme here. And something that's pretty extreme here is, um, like, let's say child pornography. Let's just say that, you know, because here, if there's even a hint of that, you are you are out of it. You are in deep, stuff. And so there's not even a question, you know? And so if say there was a, a a kid's game like kingdom hearts three and the American voice actor for Olaf was found to be busted for that, that there'd be huge throwback from that. However, I don't think here, I don't think Disney would actually revoice the character And I don't think they'd pull the item from shelves. I don't think they would go that far. I don't think that's where we've become. I mean, clearly the person would be removed from all future projects. They'd be fired, all that sort of stuff. And then the company would apologize. But I don't think they'd go as far as to pull it. And when you look at the length that Sega has gone and that Square Enix are going, that's costing them a lot of money. That's money that they're spending, that they're not going to get back. I mean, taking this actor out of it isn't going to generate any more revenue for them. It's just straight a cost they have to incur. And so that's really impressive when you think a company's willing to take a financial hit like that just because, you know, just because of their stance on how horrible of a crime it's perceived that this was. And so that's just really the points I want to make. So I want to cover the story. I want to talk about how it's just a different culture. And so we have to appreciate that. We have to understand that. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's a different world over there. And I think that's what made it so great to visit when I was there is it felt like a different place. You know, even when I've I've been to places like I've been to Europe, obviously Canada, Mexico, those places like it's still very similar, it doesn't feel like a different world, you know, I mean, obviously, there's different languages even in, in, in Mexico, you know, but like it's it doesn't feel like a different world. Japan felt like a completely different planet and it was awesome. And, and I loved it for that. You know, I thought that was I thought that was really great, um, which is why I think it's a great place to visit. But it's a different culture. And and I think it's really unfair Then my second point was I think it's really unfair to attack their culture. Because it's not something that aligns with our culture, and and I just don't I don't like that. I think that's kind of small minded, and uh, I think you have to really expand yourself to like that. There's a whole world out there of different views and different way that things work, you know, different civilizations that have been around just as long or longer, well, much longer than our country, but civilizations that have been along, around a lot longer than even you know Europe and and stuff like that. When you talk about Asia, so it's just one of those things that you have to um, respect it. Now, as a fan of the Yakuza series, I really hope it doesn't affect the U.S. release. I wouldn't think so. I personally don't think we care. And, I, and I'm pretty sure that if it came out that the U.S. voice actor here got busted for cocaine use, I don't even think he'd get fired. <laughs> I mean, I know they wouldn't edit him out of the game, but I don't even think he'd get fired. But again, that's for that drug use. If it was for something like child pornography, again, not to bring that up again, but if it was for something like that, then, yeah, I think you would see I think you would see that that actor removed from the game and they might patch it out. I don't know. i have just never. I've never heard of that. I've never had any instances of. I don't recall any instances. I should say of of a game being patched to edit out a character of a real life person that did something wrong. All right, and then lastly, this is a short one because I just want to touch on this real quick. But uh, this came across actually. This was uh, this was six days ago, and, and I saw this, and I actually surprisingly might not have the take you expect but i really could care less about this um but the headline was ea reportedly paid ninja one million dollars to promote apex legends the story reads electronic arts spared no expense promoting apex legends the gamble seemingly paid off as apex legends immediately ascended to the elite ranks of one of the most popular games in the world here's a new influencer statistic that makes it apparent ea went into this promotion with a hefty marketing budget according to writers reuters, reuters Ninja was paid $1 million to tweet about Apex Legends and to play it on stream in front of his 13.6 million Twitch followers. It's unclear how long EA required Ninja to play Apex. He streamed it for 12 days after it launched before eventually switching back to Fortnite. It's a startling sum, but it's the kind of figure that needed to get Ninja's attention. He reportedly made $10 million in 2018, meaning he's averaging earnings of approximately $833,000 a month, <laughs> another one million isn't life-changing amount for money for Ninja, but it's enough to temporarily wrestle the spotlight away from Fortnite. Ninja's payday was part of a tactical and coordinated effort from EA. Apex Legends lead producer Drew McCoy said, "Quote: We really wanted to make a day, create a day where you couldn't escape Apex if you cared about games, and we wanted to feel like an event was happening everywhere around the globe on that day. It worked, and now Apex Legends is one of 2019's early overnight success stories. Yeah, okay, so." Basically, EA paid Ninja a million dollars to play the game for two weeks and to tweet about it. Good for them. (laughs) I can't believe it. I honestly can't believe they gave that much money, but it's how marketing works. And you know what? It worked. It helped. It brought in who knows how much money. I'm sure it brought in more than a million dollars because if, it, if the access and the reach that these people have, it, it's it's not quantifiable necessarily, and the amount of money brought in by them is not quantifiable, but you guarantee that somebody who paid a million dollars, that's nothing for EA, just pay the dude a million dollars. And uh, what's funny, though, is he went back to Fortnite afterwards because that's where he is, and he's hemorrhaging followers, so you could argue that EA picked the wrong streamer. They could have probably picked somebody who was more of an up-and-comer in the Apex community, so that they could have, you know, but... Eh, it worked and and apex is making a ton of money now no one seems to have any problems with it it's great and uh and ninja got paid man who cares you know I, people who are like appalled by this i don't know how they think this all works you know so if you're appalled by the fact that ea paid someone to play a game then you really don't understand what it's like when they give free copies of games um when companies give free pieces of hardware out you know, to, to get reviewed by metal Jesus or whatever. Like it's all, it's all part of the marketing, man. It all works. And, and that's just, it's just what it is. I don't know. It's stupid to like, to think that it doesn't work that way or to think that because he was paid, it's not like he was running around like shilling for the game. Really? I mean, he basically was saying, he basically was saying, um, you know, that, uh, that uh, Hey, this is a game I'm playing. It. It's pretty cool. I mean, he just gave his opinion on it. I'm sure if it sucked, he'd have been a able... well, he maybe not would have said that. But, you know, Ninja is one of those weird like personalities now where he's like the good one. He's the safe one. You know, people can't give PewDiePie a million dollars to play a game because he's tied to all these negative, you know, interactions with potential fan bases ninja still seems to be pretty like high and dry with the whole exception of him not playing games with girls because he doesn't want people to talk about him maybe cheating on his wife or something like that whole weird thing for the most part he's clean and so companies like someone who's clean especially ea and them coming off of issues uh with their sims program that we reported about last week so weird stuff so um that's the podcast for today we're going to get into our listener question then we're going to talk about our game of the week then we're going to sign off we're going to let y'all let y'all off the hook so uh, this question comes in, uh, here we go. And this actually tied into what I was talking about with the story about the voice actor from, uh, from Japan for judgment. So the question, do you think that there should be a path to redemption for people who have made mistakes or nefarious actions and are removed from different projects or shunned from different communities? IE judgment, uh, James Gunn with guardians, of the galaxy three, who recently was reinstated, actually David cage, etc. So that's a really that's a really good question, first of all. So thank you for that. That's a very, very good question. And it's not overly complicated. So uh here's here's some things I take into account. Like let's forget all the corporate side of it. Let's just think like say say your best friend uh does something that pisses you off really bad. Like they betray your trust somehow. At what point are you gonna let that best friend back in? Like what what do they have to do to get back onto your good side? One, they have to admit that they did something wrong. And then they have to feel genuine remorse. And then they have to make actions to fix it. That, that's, how, that, that's how I feel. If, I feel like if they go that far and they're genuine about it all, and not just half asking an apology, but they're genuine about it, what more do they need to do? Like, as a person then, as me, as the friend who got betrayed, at that point, what do I need to do like what else do they need to do to make me happy? Like they've done everything they need to do. In my opinion, they don't need to, they don't need to keep working hard to build my friendship. It shouldn't be like that. Like if you feel genuine remorse, it was a mistake or if they did it on purpose and they're like, you know, it was stupid. I shouldn't have done it. I'm really sorry. Please be my friend. You know, please can we, can we get a beer sometime? Like, yes. That's So then apply that to the, the bigger picture. So let's talk about James Gunn first. So James Gunn, if you don't know, he's the director of gardens, of the galaxy one and two, he was set to direct Guardians of the galaxy three Last summer, uh some right wing media guy went digging ten years into James Gunn's past and pulled out a just a bucket full of borderline obnoxious tweets. Uh now at first you're like, oh man, is he gonna is he racist? Oh no, was he sexist? Nope, nope, none of that stuff. He just made some terrible jokes, um some self deprecating as someone who suffered child abuse himself, but he made some some offhand comments about like child abuse or something and it wasn't saying that he condones it or anything or, or that he um you know yeah he does he's not for it he's not like he wasn't saying that but he was making like a joke um i don't have an example but it was something like the lines of oh uh you know some sort of thing he's like oh that's what we call uh an eight-year-old boy and so, something something you know and it's like no that's not that's not very classy that's for sure and it's not very appropriate and i don't i don't like it um however Uh, the dude used to be a director on trauma films. (laughs) Like if you don't know what trauma is, they're basically, they made toxic Avenger and a bunch of other just terrible, terrible, inappropriate, non-rated like wannabe horror action movies. And they're, they're, they're awesome from a movie perspective, but you know, (laughs) like it's, it's not like he, he was an animator for Disney his whole life. So anyway, so someone dug up all these old tweets, tweets that Disney knew about when they hired him. He revealed everything to them. He, they knew all about it. he had already apologized for them years earlier, years earlier. He said, you know, when I was younger, I was trying to be edgy and cool. And it wasn't edgy. It wasn't cool. I'm sorry. This was all done before these were unearthed. You know, they were out there the whole time before they were unearthed. And, uh, and so then he gets fired. He, uh, Disney's like, oh, we can't, we have such a backlash. We can't do this. Well, then the backlash of him getting fired was actually much, much larger than the initial backlash. And so we were all kind of waiting. And then just, I think it was last Friday. They just announced that guns back on. Okay. So you're making some waves, making some changes. Um, And, uh, and so he's back. Uh, And, and so uh, the question posed was, is there a road to redemption? And, and I think there absolutely is. And it has to start with the three things I laid out. Like one, they have to admit that they did something wrong. Apologize sincerely and then make amends to not do something like that in the future, like make an an active effort to not let something like this happen again. And James had already done all those things before they unearthed his, his stuff, so he never should have been kicked off the project in the first place. That's a whole other conversation for another day. Um, as far as David Cage, now if you remember on the podcast about a year ago now, I talked about David Cage and his really like apparently his sexist uh, studio behavior and how he had like a, na- a nude model of Ellen Page that they would put on onto different aspects of the game during the Beyond Two Souls development and like some really nasty stuff making some he had, you know they had Photoshop pictures of them all having like huge drilldos and like uh, Nazi s- suits and they were wearing, just weird stuff. Um, now, is there a road to redemption for something like that? Yes. Uh, however, David Cage did none of those things. He didn't acknowledge anything wrong. Uh, then he didn't apologize because he didn't acknowledge anything was wrong. And as far as we know, his studio still operates that way because nothing's changed. So there is no road to redemption for people that don't seek redemption, you know, and that's not an overly rolled or religious, uh, like thing there, but that's just the truth. Like you don't find redemption unless you're seeking it. And so for, for, uh, Cage, I don't think so. I, I think Cage and Quantic, I mean, I think they're just a dump and, and and as much as i love their game i mean it's just it, it like the the things you heard about that studio were terrible and it's a private studio though they can do whatever they want um and it's in europe it's a little different but it, it's you know whatever uh now the guy from yakuza that's a totally different thing. such japanese culture now could he eventually come to the united states and, and do really well here probably because we wouldn't care about a little cocaine use i think a lot of people use cocaine that you wouldn't think um, that's not me. I'm not hinting that I do. I don't do drugs, but I'm just saying that's probably more common here than you think. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if, if he admits it and he apologized for it and then going forward promises never to do it again and is sincere in that, I think there's always a road to redemption and and our culture recently, and I talked a little bit about this with the, um, with the screw up with, uh, THQ Nordic and them talking about, uh, uh, going onto to eight Chan and doing that stupid AMA on there, which made him look like a bunch of fools. So like everyone was calling for this guy to lose his job. And that was like a genuinely bad decision, but that wasn't even like, I, it, we, we need to stop like one and dunning people you know, and again, it depends on the severity of things. Like, yes, you murder somebody, you're done. Okay. Yeah. I, duh. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about something like, like we have to look at the severity of things. We have to look at the intention of things. Um, oftentimes uh, it's the same thing when it comes to, you know, um, using an improper, a pronoun for a transgender person. You know, like, it, like if you act, if you make an accent, you say that the, the wrong pronoun, and then they're like, they correct you. And then you say, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't, I I apologize. I didn't mean to, you know, that should be it. That should be the end of it. But then they're still offended. If they're still offended that you made the mistake. And even though you're sorry, they don't care. And they're like, you can take your apology and shove it. Like, how is, how how have we gone to something like that? Like that was an honest mistake. You know, people make those. And I don't know when people got so perfect that they don't make mistakes that they can't, you know, call people out on their mistakes. But yes, I absolutely believe there's, there needs to be a road to redemption and it, it can't be a set amount of time. You know, there can't be, Oh, you know, man, after one year, you know, it really reflected. Cause then you look at stuff like Jake Paul and the Stuart Paul brothers and that shit they did in Japan. And then you look at, uh, like the debt, the dead body they filmed in the forest and all that stuff. And then they, they, they apologize and oh, and everyone feels sorry for them. And then a month later they do something else ridiculous. And it's always like the shock jock stuff. That's, that's, you know, people like that don't, don't need it because they don't want it. They don't want the redemption. They want the, the press to go along with the, the outrage. But people who genuinely make a mistake, you know, and that's a case by case basis. So you can't blanket any of this stuff. You can't just make a blanket rule and be like, no matter what, you know, (laughs) no matter what happens, if you make a bad joke on Twitter, it's distasteful and people don't like it. You'll never work here again. Eh, That doesn't make any sense. And so there has to be a path to redemption for people that have screwed up and it has to be looked at it by a case by case basis. And it has to be a genuine, sincere want for them to do so. Okay. That was long-winded. So then, we have a Game of the Week, everybody. This is a good one. I like this a lot. And I may have talked about this before, but now I'm going in more of an order. So if this was on an old podcast, I apologize. But we're going to talk about it anyway. So, I'm going to be talking about Beavis and Butthead for the Sega Genesis. So this is another one of those cases, much like Batman and Aladdin, where the Genesis version is very different from the Super Nintendo version. So, uh, the... uh, Beavis Butte for the Sega Genesis actually plays more like a point and click adventure game, which is really weird because why would you think that was? But it does. You actually go to places you find items. You have to go to other places and use those items. And so it, it's pretty fun. The Super Nintendo version is more like a typical side scroller where you're going through levels. In fact, I find it obnoxious. There's like a school level where you're or a hospital level where you're pushing like I think your butthead pushing Beavis on a on a gurney and you have to like jump over things and like there's people. shoot. It's just it sucks. Like I really hate the Super Nintendo version of this game but I love the Genesis version. I've always loved point and clicks. So there's not really, that's not news. Um, but, uh, this game is actually really fun. So go check it out. Uh, the idea is the same that a, a dog chewed up your gore tickets and you have to find all the pieces to your gore tickets so you can get to the show. Um, and you, you go all to all the different places that like you start off in your house. You get to see like their bedroom, which you, I don't think you ever see actually in the show, but you see it in the game and you go to school and you go to, um, Uh, like Burger World like if you're a fan of Beavis and Butthead I suggest the Genesis version over the Super Nintendo version but if you like side-scrolling action games more you'll probably like the Super Nintendo version better and that was our game of the week. Beavis a butthead for the Sega Genesis. Thank you, everyone, for, as always, listening, watching, uh, and sharing, too. You know, if, if you listen to this, even if you share it on Facebook or or on Twitter or anywhere, just be like, hey, you know, I I, I really dig this podcast, man. You know, it, it helps us grow. Uh, we, we average about, I mean, I can only see the the SoundCloud statistics, but we average about 100 to 200 listeners a week, and that's pretty cool. I mean, I, I really like that. Um, I'd like to be more. Um, you know, I'd like to get in the thousands someday, but this is totally cool, too. And, uh, as always, please, please, please send me your questions. I have some great ones queued up, but I am always looking for more. And if I get an over an overage amount of them, I'll start asking or answering more questions in in a, in a, in a podcast. So, uh, maybe kind of weaving it into the show. Uh, so with that being said, thank you as always follow me on Twitter at game trade, Greg, uh, youtube.com slash drop rate twitch.tv slash the drop rate. Uh, we're up to almost 4,300 subs on YouTube. It's just, man, we just keep pounding, you know, just keep grinding and grinding and grinding. got to get to that 5,000 mark and then it's 10,000 or bust. And then once it's 10,000, maybe we can, uh, you know, as we, as we start to grow and grow and grow, we'll have more content and, um, and you know, things happen. So, uh, I appreciate as always, everybody. Thank you for listening and watching. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Share, tell your friends. Uh, and I appreciate y'all. Have a great day. We'll talk to you again next time. Bye Bye.